brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to CombatFlipFlops.com and become part of their unarmed forces today. And by Beneath. Starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at Beneath.com. That's B-N-3-T-H.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. You know, I have guests all the time that uh, seem to surpass one another in, in a lot of different avenues in their lives, but I've, I've never truly sat down with someone quite like two. And I've been, you know, reaching out to people like two, and you guys have been asking me to bring two on, like I think every other podcast has, because two is a badass. But I have two lamb with us, guys. And just brief overview, and then I'm going to let him tell the story. But if you don't play Call of Duty, you need to go check his fucking face, because you're looking at it right now. And not only that, is this man has served 20 out of 23 years as a special operator, and he has spent the rest of his life in literal harmony teaching and educating through Ronin Tactics. I am so thrilled to have with me Tulam. Welcome to the show, buddy. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Hi, guys. You're just like the softest. I don't. You're a terrifying man, but I'm telling you right now, you're the softest teddy bear I think I've ever seen. Like, look at you. Your smile is contagious. I can't help myself. Well, thank you. So listen, you know, you, uh, you've, you've been around for a long time in this community, um, the veteran community and, 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 you know, it seems like mental health. Um, I really want to start off really where you started. Um, when you were young, you went through a lot of things very early on that most children should number one, never have to experience, but because of the strength and courage of it was, I was it your mother who got yeah. you and your brother out. That, to me, I want to start in Vietnam. Can you take me there? Wow. All right. So, you know, I was born in uh, the hospital of Saigon uh, in South Vietnam. You know, during that state of the Vietnam War, American troops left Vietnam and just left a devastating impact on the people of South Vietnam. And I was, I was born on the losing side of war. I was born on the basement floor. Um, my mother shielded my body from incoming artillery fire in the morning of my birth. At three months old, I lost my freedoms to the communist regime. The communists, uh, the North Vietnamese uh, army came into the city of Saigon. At that time, they were taking anybody out of political uh, power. Um, it was it was basically genocide. So basically, they were pulling people out. They were looting through their homes. And if you uh, served alongside Americans, if you had any uh position of political power within that government system, you were executed. Um, you know, my um, my grandfather, we lived in a small apartment in, in Saigon. Um, you know, three months old, the, the, uh, the military, the North Vietnamese kicked open our door to drug us out in the streets. Um, they separated my uncles uh, from our group. They called out a list and they put them in a group and they gunned them down. Uh, my other uncles uh, were imprisoned in what's called re-education camps, and these were torture camps. People died of hard labor, uh, starvation, and uh, we lost some of our uncles um, during that. Um, we were raised, you know, roughly around three years old. 
you know, we're being oppressed. And my mother is saying that, you know, soldiers would often go through homes and loot and, and, um, and basically take out, you know, um, belongings and valuables. Uh, the government system started taxing heavy taxes on the, um, on the working class. People that couldn't afford it were immediately sent to labor camps and uh, eventually faced genocide. Uh, at three years old, uh, my mother and I and my brother and father, we, we escaped on a, a wooden fishing boat. And this is uh, a small motor boat, you know, maybe fits about 40 people. We had a hundred people on that boat. And uh, I, want, I want to say this is our family was just one of the hundreds of thousands of refugees uh, leaving at that time. Uh, at that time, um, you know, a lot of bandits in the pie tree would come in because they knew fleeing refugees would come in. So the neighboring um, bandits from Thailand, Indonesia, Philippines, they would come in there and they'll stop the refugees by gunpoint. They'll board the ships, uh, kill the men, rape the women and torture the children. In fact, it was common practice amongst fleeing refugees to, uh, to carry poison within their belongings so that they can poison their children so they can die in peace without being oh. tortured. Um, somehow we, we escaped through the, uh, the pie tree. The, um, the captain of our boat, he was ex-military uh, Navy. So he was able to employ the tactics in order of us uh, to get out of Vietnam. And we made our way into Malaysia where the Malaysian Coast Guard stopped us at gunpoint. They didn't want any refugees in their hometown and in, in their uh, in their country. They were third uh, third world country anyway, so they don't want our problems, right? right? So they stopped us at gunpoint. They drug us back out into the South China Sea, shot our motor, cut the lines, and left us there to die. Uh, my mother said we drifted for nearly you know a month. Uh, people dying, starvation. Uh, the the elders that were um, that try to escape, they died first and their bodies were thrown overboard. Um, we lost food and water. Um, so we were basically dying. And my mother said that uh, she was contemplating on giving us this poison. Oh. Um, but uh, she said a miracle transpired that night and a tropical storm hit us. And um, it washed us actually further out into the South China Sea. And she said that this saved our lives because that gave us a few more days together uh, for the water. And she said that uh, we drifted and drifted and uh, at nighttime, um, there was a spotlight that hit our, our boat and it was a Russian supply boat coming out of Vietnam. And you know, what I wanna to say to you is that, you know, the Russian communist ideology is what took me out of my country, but that's what we lost our freedoms. But yet these people, um, they took us on board and they took care of us. They, they basically saved us, you know, and um, that taught me a, a hard lesson in humanity, you know. So then we, we, um, we made our way into um, Indonesia where they dropped us off on the beach and, and basically there's a refugee camp there. What I want to explain is this refugee camp is just a, it's a patch of land out in the middle of the jungle. You know, you have hundreds of thousands of refugees in this area and people are fighting to survive. So people are often murdered uh, for supplies. Women were drug out in the jungles, raped, killed. Um, we lived there for a year and a half, you know, in this. And I asked my mother, why, why a year and a half? And she said, you know, your grandfather who funded the escape, uh, he said, if you were to survive this escape, a slim chance to none that you were to survive, but if you were to survive, 
um, I need you to promise me that you would try to make it to America. And the reason why is because during the war, my, um, my aunt married a American Special Forces Green Beret officer. And uh, while he was fighting the Vietnam War, his uh, camp got overran and he was stabbed by a bayonet. And um, they evacuated him out. They thought he was going to die, but he's a Green Beret, right? So he's a Green he Beret. Right, he lived. And, um, you know, he sponsored our paperwork to get us over to the United States. You know, so after a year and a half, we made our way over to America. Now, this is where I, I want to talk about this because we, we're seeing this today, you know, the, the racism, the hate, the discrimination, right? We're fighting equality. And I want to put you back in, you know, during the, um, the late 70s, early 80s, it was very racist times in America just because the Vietnam War was an unpopular war. You know, up to then, you know, the the uh, Americans, anytime we were fighting a war, the, you know, the armed forces would have their uh, reporters and they'll censor everything out. Right. But the Vietnam War was the first time that our um, that the media was allowed to to flood in and just, you know, civilian reporters were allowed to to capture war. And well, we know war is not pretty and people died, you know. So. Unpopular uh, American war. So can you imagine a Vietnamese, right? I'm the face of an unpopular American war, right? So people always ask me, hey, too, what, what is your first memories, you know, of life? What, what is it, man? You know, I tell you, man, my first memories in life was my mother took me to a grocery store. You, wow. you know, we were very poor, right? We were very poor at that time. We went to this grocery store. Let me explain to you. I've never seen so much food in my life, like in one area, right? And people are like, so what? You know, but when you starve, when, when you almost die, that means a lot to you. And I remember looking at my mother and she was so happy, right? It was, you know, mother and son time that day. And I was so happy that, you know, that, that my mother was happy and we were able to get food and we're not starving anymore. And we loaded our, our cars and we, we pushed our way out to the, the car. We're loading the car. And this man came up to me and he looked at me, you know, and he spit on my face. Flipped, the yeah, he flicked my mom off, you know, and he said, that, uh, go home to your country. And he, he used the words, you know, like chink and, and, and all these uh, mm -hmm. racist names. You know, at that time, I didn't understand. Right. You know, my mother, um, of course, she, her being the, the strong willed person, she, she actually wanted to fight him there. But um. Yeah. She, told me, she told me to get in the car and, you know, I just didn't understand. And I was starting school at that time, you know, at, the, uh, at that age. And, you know, we we're very poor. We lived with my uncle when we first came in America. He was an officer in the army. Right. So he had, you know, had this huge house and I never seen such beautiful living conditions like that, you know, and I was so happy that we were not starving. And eventually we moved out and, um, you know, my father and my mother, we lived in a very poor part of town. You know, that's all we could afford. It was a small apartment. The only furniture we had in that apartment was one full-size mattress. One full-size mattress that my whole family slept on. You know, it was my brother, myself, my mom, and my biological father. It was very hard times, you know. And um, my mother would get donations from other refugees and uh, my aunt. But these were like third hand-me-downs, you know. They're like through the system. Yeah, it's been through the system, you know, and had holes and holes in the shoes and, and stuff like that. And, you know, my mother would stay up late at night, sew the holes and fix the shoes so we can go to school. Um, let me tell you about this day. You know, I was in third grade 
and I, I would get picked on daily, you know, and I would get picked on daily because I was poor and I, I looked different. And um, even the, the teachers did not approve of the refugees coming into uh, the town. In fact, there was a, a teacher that openly said that she don't like refugees coming into her hometown. And she was looking at me, you know, so that always triggered the other kids to make fun of me. You know, right. and it gave him permission without giving him uh, permission. And she wouldn't stop him, you know, because she didn't like me anyways, because I, I looked different. Right. Poor. So there was a substitute teacher days were like the worst for me because my Vietnamese name is actually pronounced Thuthan Lam, right? Right. Yeah. Can you pronounce that? <laughs> right. Imagine pronouncing that. So I say to Lamb because, you know, you guys don't butcher my name. We but will every goddamn time too. So just don't try. It. <laughs> so um, there was this one sub two teacher day. And I want to, I want to talk about this day because this actually is through the struggles, right? We find our strength. Right. So, you know, this day, you know, I was defeated. I was being picked on. I was a small, frail, malnourished little boy. You know, I was poor. Um, people would always call me names and pick on me. So there was a sub teacher day and uh, he came in and he tried to pronounce my name. Obviously he fucked it all up. Yeah. <laughs> and then right. I, I started all the other kids to pick on me. They threw paper at me and they're making their eyes and, you know, and um, there was this bully. He hated me. Right. He hated me. And um, he hated that I was poor. He, he reminded me that I was poor every day. Right. And, uh, because you needed a reminder. Yeah. Right. Like I didn't know I had holes in my shoes. You know, he had. Yeah, thanks, bro. So then he made fun of me and um, the teacher, substitute teacher had enough. And he said, you two boys need to go down to the principal's office. I'm like, I didn't even do anything. I'm the victim. Right. Right. And I didn't even like act back. I didn't, I wasn't not, I wasn't even engaging with them. I was just being picked on. Right? Oh my God. So I walked down and the principal's office and the principal said, you sit over here and you sit over there and your parents are going to come pick you up. Well, my mother didn't have a car. So I right. knew I was sitting there for a while, you know? <laughs> so I was sitting there in the principal's office and um, the mother of the bully came in and she demanded to know what's going on. The, the principal got up and he looked over at me. He said, your son called that boy a chink. And he sat back down and nonchalantly went on his way. The mother went and picked up her son and walked over to me. Obviously, I'm already defeated, so I'm looking at the ground. Right. right? And, and she's standing there, so I'm seeing, I see her feet. So it forced me to look up at her, and she said to me something I'll never forget. She said, you don't belong here, and my son is right, and you do need to go back home to your country. The fuck she did. And then uh, she left. You ever cried so hard that you started hyperventilating? Well, I started hyperventilating where I started crying and hyperventilating. The principal said, boy, if you're going to cry like that, you need to get out in the hallway. So I did. I went out in the hallway and I was crying. I was so defeated. My mother never came and picked me up because, you know, she, she don't have a car. So I caught the bus home and um, didn't tell my mother. I remember sitting there in my room and I was doing my homework. It was really down, you know? So my mother never said anything. She never asked me what happened. She just came in the room. She sat next to me and she said to me one thing. She said, son, there will be the bad days. But what do you learn from it? 
Right. What did you learn from it? And nothing else was said, you know. Eventually, my mother and biological father got divorced, you know. It was just hard times. We faced poverty. We starved. I mean, we did go days without eating, you know, as a child. Um, so it was very hard times. So when I was eight years old, my mother got remarried to American Special Forces Green Beret. Shocker! That wasn't in yeah. your path at all, too. <laughs> And uh, we moved out, you know, so imagine eight years old going from, okay, my stepfather, he was a, a drill sergeant, green beret, you know, really disciplined, um, hard guy, you know, and um, I was eight and I went from zero discipline because my step, my, my biological father, he wasn't in the military, you know, he, we didn't grow up with discipline, you know, so going from zero discipline to getting up at 4.30 in the morning, making your bed, raising the flag, putting your- Did you your have Jocko? Oh my God, he was pretty much, you know, oh he's just God. hard, you know, he's a hard man, but he'll tell you, I was raised in a different American time than you were. And, uh, you know, I raised the flag and I put my hand over my heart. And then afterwards we would go into- uh, uh, 45 minutes of physical training, and then we go into school, right? So every day was like that. And then after school, we would do chores, and then we had a family company that we had to work in. So what I'm saying to you is zero discipline to 150. Full. Just Full. couldn't be more. Right. And, you know, I love my stepfather, and he mowed me into this disciplined person in life. But, man, at eight years old, it was a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, he rocked you hard. I really miss my father, you know, and any child who goes through divorce would tell you that like, that's a hard time in their life. Yes. Do you, so I, uh, sorry, not to interrupt too, but did you, did you see your father much after that? No, I never saw him again. Oh, fuck. Sake, fact, I didn't uh, expect that. Oh. Yeah. The, the, the last thing I heard was when I was fighting a war in Iraq, my mother, I called my mom and she said he died and I never saw him. You know, but getting back to that day, you know, uh, I was being picked on too. you know, being picked on in school. We we're poor. Uh, we were living better now because we were with my stepfather and he was American Special Forces, but he was enlisted. But we were we were decent, but we didn't make that much money. We were just a blue right. collar family. Right. And we worked our butts off and you know, went to school. So I was being picked on in school. And I haven't heard from my father in over a year. You know, it was very difficult. And finally, my mother came in. I was doing my homework one day. My mother came in. And uh, she said, this is from your, your father. It was a cardboard box. And I remember looking at the cardboard box. And I picked up the cardboard box. And I put it across the room. And I would do my homework. And I would periodically look at that box. I... Um, I was so hurt by my father leaving us, you know. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. And finally, I built enough courage to open up this box. And inside the box was four VHS tapes. You know, you don't, you guys don't know what VHS is. It's the OVCRs, right? Before the, I will send you a link to like an old school VHS tape, like, like, record, like player and like a rewinder. I will send it out to all the millennials. Don't worry, too. I got you. So these were dubbed tapes and they were written in Vietnamese, right? And I didn't, I didn't know how to read Vietnamese. I was too young to learn how to read, right, Vietnamese. So I picked one tape out, 
right? Just randomly picked one tape. I threw it in a VCR. It was called the Art of Budo. For the viewers, if you don't know what Budo is, is the, the combat art of being a samurai. It's the combative side of being a warrior. And it's it, it was tied into spirituality and enlightenment and the way of Confucianism, you know? Very, very Zen-based uh, teachings, you know? A path, the way. I'm like, what is that? What is the way? Bushido, what is it? The way of the warrior. What's that mean? You know, you have to understand I was defeated as a boy. I was malnourished. I was this frail boy. I wanted to be something more in life, but what? You know? Do you too with 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 these and, and in the eighties, you were how old were you when you left Vietnam exactly when you got on a boat? Three. Okay, so you were three years old. And at that time, did your mother and brother speak English or just Vietnamese? Or did your brother older? Yes, he was four years older than me. And okay. we, we didn't speak English. We just spoke Vietnamese. Okay, so at that time, you couldn't read it as you got older, but you could understand it when it was spoken. And did your mom speak it when she was in the United States? Yes. To you and, okay, and the boys. How, I have a couple questions. I want to break something down here. And so just follow with me, okay? So your mother, number one, I feel like you're cool and all, but I'd rather talk to her. She is a fucking... Oh, she is a force of nature. And I, I need to acknowledge that right off the bat. I'm a mother now of a five-year-old boy. And when I hear, yeah, thank you. He's an animal. When I hear you describing and discussing uh, the sheer mental strength of your mother going through what she did and taking you on these ships, I don't take Jack many places by myself because he's a tornado. The idea of fleeing a war and seeing what you saw and then I'm not going to lie, you you hit me in a lot of feels here because I didn't expect to see this person in front of me and hear what, out of your mouth, what she had to do for you and then see the person you are now. So that's why I'm trying to break it down for people because when you come to the United States and you are experiencing racism on the level that you are and to the point that you are, you... I'm trying to get people to understand that the culture that you come from is is a much help me here too it's a much i want to say harder culture it's a much um emotions are not like they are in the united states oh. it is a very different thing i have some fractures in china and they straight out call me fat when i look fat like there is a different way i'm not kidding after i was pregnant they're like you're still fat i was like fuck you <laughs> so they, they, they have, a, you guys, uh, the Asian culture has this, this beautiful way of life, but they also have this side that is very hard to understand. And I can only imagine when that happened to you in the parking lot and your mother's response, my feeling, it hit me like it happened. It's like you were a child. I watched you go through that and I watched you emotionally go back and it was obvious to me. And that was very intense. Um, and knowing how young you were and not understanding and, and another person thinking it was acceptable to call you that blows my mind. When you rock into your eight years old age and you end up getting some incredible opportunity to have your mom be happy for once, right? And be somewhat free of a system and somewhat fed and somewhat looked after the fact that you had to take that on the chin the way you did. And then you never really discuss it the first day that you were bullied. How did you, at eight years old, 
have more wherewithal and mental strength than most grown ass adults that I know. You have to, there has to be more to this too. You can't be eight years old, go through what you did and still be able to hold on to that the way you are and, 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 and power through. What did you, do you remember what you told yourself? Do you, do you, do you, do you ever have any self-talk? Did you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, you know, the only thing was I was really defeated and, you know, people always say, how did you get over racism? I didn't. You know, you don't get over hate. You don't get over right. somebody sitting in your face and flicking you off from every angle, from a teacher to your coach allowing you to get beat up by other students and turning his eye. I mean, we were really, um, we were really isolated. And I felt alone. And and the thing was, there was not a lot of refugees in my hometown because, you know, America was a hard country to get into as a refugee. Right. There was a lot of demands. And I ended up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is like the home of special forces, like special ops. These are all like majority of spec ops guys were walking around this town straight out of Vietnam War. Right. You know, like that was the era I was in. I was raised in that community. My stepfather, my uncle was special operations. I I just didn't know like what position I was in at that time. I just I was defeated. You know, I was, I was defeated. And, and the only thing that held me on was that VHS tape. When you, when you found that, what did your mother say? Did she know what they were? Did she have an idea of obviously the culture that is built and baked into the culture? So, you know, did you discuss it with her? Did you bring it up? Like, I have so many questions around this because I know this was the start for you of really becoming who you are now and, and that peace that you bring in to everything. So what did your stepfather think of this and, and your mother when she, did you tell her this? No, no, what? I never, I never, I never spoke to her about this. my struggles, you know, and um, just because she gave up so much for me. So I held on a lot of struggles. I figured it out by myself, you know, because she had enough problems of her own. Right. You know, and um, going through divorce and, you know, she was going to college. Gosh, man, she was so bad. So she came here, hardly spoke English and went to college and got an education, you know, and, and told me this. She said this to me this. She said, son, you know, no matter what, no matter what, if you have an education, you can never be oppressed. You're damn right. Right. It's such a special thing to hear you say that because uh, I think people especially nowadays, and I'm sure you see it, um, education is, is flicked off like it, it's not a privilege. It's not an opportunity for growth. It's this, I'm just going to go to college and my parents are going to pay for it. And in blah, 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 blah. it's not worth what it used to be worth. There isn't this way that we are teaching our children the respect of education and how it can not only move you from being oppressed, but it can it can move you up in the world to make positive change. And your mom seemed to know that early on. Did she... So how did that work when she went from Vietnam? Did she have some schooling there and then come over here? And then yeah. she was able to roll in? Wow. Yeah, she had some schooling there, but, you know, she was so young when she left. She was, you know, 24, you know, 24 years old. She boarded a boat with two kids, her husband, knowing that 99% chance that we may not make this. When you say, I want to ask, and this may be prying a bit, 
when you say that parents often brought poison for the children on the boats, what are we look? What are we looking at here? What type of poison? I don't know. I don't know what they had. I know that um, she spoke of a poison that that makes us go to sleep, right? So we won't feel the pain because kids were kids were being tortured by these bandits, you know, mutilated, tortured, enslaved. Yeah. This so like, it's like child soldiers. Like they, when they get taken, it's it's yeah, over. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. So I was this defeated eight-year-old child raised with a hard military discipline. So uh, I'll bring you to this day. Fast forward to 11 years old, right? Okay. So 11 years old, I'm riding in my uncle's uh, little dune buggy because he, he fixes Volkswagen dune buggies for hobbies. And this, my uncle is American Special Forces Green Beret, right? And he's a hard guy. And he's the one who sponsors us to get over the States. And, you know, he said something to me. He, he was driving me to Dairy Queen. He goes to, you know, just out of blue, right? I was sitting in the passenger seat, 11 years old. You know, too, there'll be days that, um, that you don't want to do anything, that you're going to feel sorry for yourself. And you're going to ask yourself, do you want to be a fucking commando today? When your bones ache and it shatters and, and it feels like it's about to, to break because of the heavy loads you're carrying, you need to ask yourself, do you want to be a fucking commando? When everybody doubts you, they make fun of you, and you fail over and over again, you need to ask yourself, do you want to be a fucking commando? You're 11. I was 11 years old. Could you imagine? The no, I can't. No, I can't. That's why my brain is, you're watching it slightly explode in front of your face because I can't wrap my brain around that talking to an 11 year old saying, it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult, but here are your options. I can't imagine one of them being, I'm going to break you down to the point where you're going to become one of the most feared man, men in all of the world. 11. I sat there, you know, I looked at my uncle and I knew what a commando was. You know, I was raised in that community. Right. The discipline, the drive, the physical fitness, the training, the mindset to be this almost superhuman being, you know, commando. Hmm. So later on that year, I was 11. And then my mother took me to a uh, refugee area, right, where these refugees were in. They're barely making it. Now that we're living with my stepfather, we have food. So my mother would cook food and she would literally drive hours to these locations and she would give uh, food to the needy. She'll give our, our used clothes to them, right? I was 11. Hours that we drove, right? Hours. And uh, we were driving back home and I, I said something to my mother. I said, you know, I don't understand why we waste our day driving across town to people that don't even appreciate you, mom. They didn't even say thank you. The conversation got so real, right, that she, uh, she stopped yeah. the car. Oh, wow. Stopped and, you know, in Vietnamese culture, you don't look at your parents when they're lecturing you because that's disrespect. Right. Just oh, really? Culture. Yeah. When okay. you get yelled at, you look at the ground because you look at your parents when you're yelling at. That's a disrespectful thing. 
Okay. But because my mom is starting to become more westernized, she said, I want you to look at me, son. How'd that make you feel? It was serious because she never did that. And she said, I, I want to tell you something. She said, no matter conditions, no matter the circumstances, if you can help people, if you can help others, you need to do what you can to help them. And in doing so, we create a better world. Oh. Like, wow. You know, I thought about that night. And I was putting everything together. Right, I was putting, since I was eight, I was putting everything together, the way, the path of Bushido, a higher purpose, to live life fearless, right? Because I was this defeated, small little frail boy, afraid of every freaking thing, you know? My uncle said, do you want to be a commando? The way, the path, higher purpose. So it was that day that I was going to, I chose the path to be a warrior. I chose the path to, to be a Green Beret so I can go around the world and to free the enslaved, to fight for the oppressed, to fight for, you know, my family, people like me that escaped out of a worn torn country, to fight for those people. There's a force for that. It was the special forces. So at 11 years old, I wrote down that I'm going to be a Green Beret. So I remember, you know, I went to school. Academics was really important to my parents, you know. Um, um, straight, strict, you know, military discipline, getting up at five o'clock in the morning. We had dress codes, you know. Uh, you get, yeah, we had dress codes. We uh, we had to wear slacks and button-down shirts to school, you know. My, my stepfather was old school, traditional mm -hmm. Right. So you treat, you know, open the doors for girls and women and, you know, you, you just have a lot of manners. And he taught us all this discipline. Right. At 16. Right? And I was still getting picked on. I was still getting picked on in school. Racism, you know, all that, all that. It never stops. It never stops. I just. I had a goal. You had a, you had a greater, you had a greater. I had a greater purpose. Um, that's right. Yeah. That didn't matter anymore because they're children. And at that point, it seems like when you turned 11 and you made that decision, you decided at that point, I'm a grown man now. And this petty bullshit will not be the thing that breaks me. I knew that it wasn't going to break me because I knew my purpose was higher than hate because I choose compassion. I right. choose love and compassion because my mother taught me compassion and humanity was taught to me on that boat as I was floating out there. Some Russian ship picked me up. Humanity, compassion, and love was taught to me at a young age. So I knew as a warrior, I was going to take this energy and I was going to fight for the oppressed. And that was stronger, you know, compassion is stronger than hate. But you didn't have to, you were three. Nobody would have expected, like, if, like two, if you decided to go down a different path in your life, nobody would have questioned that path because you were three years old when that compassion and humanity was shown to you. Your mother could have chosen to allow that to pass, that be a fleeting moment, and we've just been saved. But she chose to use that as the moment to teach you about humanity because you could have, and she could have so easily spoken so negatively about others because of what had just happened to you and your entire family. It's right. a real, it's a real, honest to God, I don't want to say luck, but there is more. There's divine intervention here, in my opinion. You don't make it out of what you've made it to where you are now. If there isn't a reason for it, a bigger reason. 
I, I believe in every person in this world is special. Every human being is, no matter where you are. And, and God's put you in this world to do a certain purpose. You know? And if your time is over and your purpose is done in this world and you move on, if it's not, then you're going to continue, right? And it's through the struggles if you find yourself or not. Because, yeah, I faced the struggles. And I could, it, it almost broke me. You know, it really did. It, and nobody would have nobody would have said a word about it because it's it's an it's a goddamn miracle that you didn't break at eight years old and three year olds and eleven years old, especially just from one adversity to the next. You never had a smooth path. You always had adversity thrown at you. Yeah. It it it, it seems like your stepfather was a turning point in he your was. life. He was and my uncle. Obviously, my mother was always that, you know, strength, that continuous strength throughout my whole life. But it was like when times got bad, there was a positive energy to enter my life. Right. right? Uh, I didn't have friends growing up, you know. So I'm, I'm talking from my from 11 years old into 16, right? I didn't really have friends. Nobody liked me because I, I, was, I, I was different, right? And uh, my friends were my, my father's teammates, Green Berets. Right. And I, I met Green Berets in the neighborhood from Vietnam era. These are like legends. And, you know, yeah. they became my friends. Um, so crazy to me. Right. And they would come by and pick me up. And, you know, we'll, you, I don't know. We just hung out and I, I knew the stories of the special forces at a young age. And they respected as, you as that child because, that wanted you know, to come forward. Yeah. Green Beret Special Forces is there to free the oppress. They're there to, to fight for the enslaved and they're multi-culture, multi-faceted. They speak different languages, right? So right. they're all about that, you know, the difference in the world. So 16, I remember this. Um, I, had, I had it on my calendar, right? The date, 16. I was going to start my training. So I did. Okay. Right, 16, I started hardening my body, my mind, uh, a lot of uh, cardiovascular training back then, a lot of uh, muscular endurance. I was prepping for the military. Right. Um, at 18 years old, I graduated from school and um, I told my mother I was joining the army. What did she say? She cried all night. Oh. She didn't say a word, you know, she cried all night. I can hear it in the house, you know. And the next day I graduated from, uh, from high school and I remember walking across the stage and my mother had this, you know, huge ceremony planned, you know, she was so proud. You should be. I remember we, uh, we were out in the parking lot after graduation. I handed my mother my diploma and I, I thank my mother, you know, for everything she's done, you know, and I was holding my little sister at that time. She was a little baby, you know. I kissed my little sister, I handed her over and I said, mom, you know, I really appreciate you and thank you so much for everything you do, but I have to leave. And she's oh. like, you mean? I said, there's a recruiter right there waiting on me. He's gonna drive me to the bus station tonight. Oh, for I'm God's leaving. sake. I'm leaving, you know, for, for training. I knew I wanted. Right. You know, since I was 11. And this day came and, you know, I had to get away because I had to find my strength. You know? 
So I told my mother, I said, you know, mom, you gave up so much for me. I promise you that um, I'm going to graduate from college. You know, I'm going to make you proud of me. She was like, you know, yeah, you know, because she, uh, she gave up so much for my brother and I to have this education. It was hard life. Yeah. She always said education is your, your path to freedom, you know, being oppressed. So I did, you know, I joined the military um, just quickly. Um, you know, I went to the long range reconnaissance units and then I eventually made my way to the special forces uh, A teams at 21. I was stationed out in Okinawa, Japan for deployed uh, in Asia. Um, but I want to share with you this education story. You know, one of my first missions, I was 21 years old, Okinawa, Japan, Green Beret, right? <laughs> um, couldn't tell me anything, you know? Right. I, I'm waiting for this because I know what's coming. <laughs> right. And you couldn't tell me anything because, you know, I accomplished so much, you know, in this short amount of time. And here I am. And uh, I was from the oppressed, you know, I'm free and oppressed now, you know? Let me tell you this story. I flew into Laos, you know. That was one of my first missions. And um, during the Vietnam War, we Americans would drop hundreds of thousands of landmines through the rice paddies and fields, you know. And these landmines are still scattered out there in these jungles. Yeah, well, right. fast forward that to 98, right? So the year 98, you know, kids are playing around these rice paddies and they're they're getting blown up. They're dying, uh, amputees. So we, we heard news of this. So we we forward deployed, special forces forward deployed, and we went into these villages and uh, we would find these landmines and we'll uh, show the villagers how to disarm the landmines and get rid of them, you know, Good so they, you. the kids can, can have a life, you know. So I was 21 and I landed on the LZ and I was coming off the, the drop zone and my linguist came running up to me, you know, he was, you know, I was in Laos and he started speaking to me in English. Thank you for coming. And I was so excited, right? My, one of my first missions and this little girl came running up to me. And I'm like, oh, I got candy, right? So I started pouring my candy. I'm like, here's some candy. And, you know, she grabbed the candy. I remember her. Cute little girl. She had to be like 10. And um, she looked at the candy. I remember that. And she opened up my hand. She put the candy back in my hand. And she said something in Laos. And the language said, Sir, do you have a, a pencil or a pen? Can't use. She needs something she I'm can like, use. Wow. I pulled out a pen, right? I gave it to her. She's, she pulled me down. She kissed me in the cheek. She ran off. She was so happy, right? So I was on mission mode, right? So I was going around the villages. I was checking out the, the security posture. I was looking at where the landmines. I was looking at the maps. I remember it was lunchtime, and the linguist said to me, He goes, Sir, do you realize what you? done this morning i said no what do you mean he goes when you gave that little girl a pen do you realize what you've done i said no what he goes sir you gave the girl education oh, i don't have money Christ. for pens so here and you know what came to my mind when i was looking at the map i was i was looking at the map and i was hearing this linguist talk to me what came to my mind was my mother said that education if you have an education, you will never be oppressed. So yeah. I drafted I drafted an email that night, you know, to uh, to headquarters and I, I requested for more money for operational funds so we can go to the next village uh, the villages so we can collect lumber and build schools. 
I wanted to build them a school. And uh, we got our uh, special forces engineers and we rewired the water, the river lines so they could have running water in these villages. So what, what I'm trying to say is what turned into a demining mission. I gave hope and education to a village, right? I gave them a future. You did. Off of one, one word my mother said to me when I was young, education is your free, you know, will free you from oppression. And I, I realized that. And I, I tell you, there was stories like that multiplied through 27 countries. You know, and I, I um, you know, I went to 27 countries in my career and I fought uh, in every continent. I, um, you know, when 9-11 when happened, we went to the Middle East, we fought there. And my last, uh, I would say my last uh, years was, uh, I volunteered for uh, the Horn of Africa. So we went into Northern Africa after the fall of Libya. And then uh, we did um, counter poaching campaigns to fought against Chad rebels. And, and I tell you, you know, after 23 years, I was at uh, 14 and a half years of war and conflict at that time, you know? And I was out in Cameroon, so I want to explain the story. So fast forward, I, I, I was in Asia. I fought wars in Asia. I went to Europe did Europe time. And then I went to uh, Middle East, just got out of wars in uh, the Middle East. And I went to fight in the wars in Africa. Right. So now I'm this very seasoned, uh, yeah. special battle hardens. Yeah. SF dude. Yeah, I was just yeah. very seasoned. Right. I had a lot of experience underneath me around the world. And uh, I was in Cameroon. Remember that when I walked across the stage and uh, I gave my mother the diploma at my graduation. Yeah. I graduated the top of my class in college, right? Um, so I, I graduated from college with honors uh, while fighting counter poaching campaigns in Cameroon. I, I actually took my final exam on a Cameroon commando camp. No big deal. It's fine. <laughs> no excuses. And uh, my diploma came in um, when I was deployed and my wife took a picture of it and I sent it to my mother. And I remember uh, the promise I made to my mom, you know? So it, it was really, it was really, it went full circle. Right. But I tell you, you know, during that time I was, uh, I was falling apart. The war started catching up to me. Um, you know, I was, I didn't know it, but I was starting uh, to face depression. And, um, you know, it was just, I saw the worst in the world, you know, at that time. And I was sitting out in front of uh, a tent in, uh, in Northern uh, Cameroon, in Buna Majida. And we we're about to go into uh, counter poaching campaign patrols that day with the uh, Cameroon commandos. And I was sitting out there, man, I was drinking some chai tea. Sun was coming up. You know, I never, but it's never present like that for a very long time. You, you ever been present, man? You ever been there in the moment where you're like appreciate yeah. everything and gratitude? It doesn't happen often, but when it happens and it happens deeply, you feel yeah. it in your bones. You know, the sun was coming up and, you know, the, the wildlife was going through. Oh man, I just, I feel grateful for life. I know, I haven't After felt that way. I haven't felt that way in a long time. And uh, I knew that that moment was gonna come and go really fast. Yeah. So I, I opened up my notebook and I wrote the word peace. 
I wrote the time and location, Cameroon, Northern Africa, peace. Because peace was my new journey. Right. You knew at that moment? So after I rotated, after I rotated out of Cameroon, um, I went into South Africa where I protected our former president, uh, Barack Obama, uh, during Mandela's funeral. And uh, came back and then uh, I put in for retirement. So after 23 years of service, you know, my new journey was peace. Tell me about that. Tell me about how you've done this transition because besides crying this whole interview, I know the value you're bringing and people know that you don't just get to where you are now without a little bit of peace. I know I don't have you much longer, but can you give me some of the ways that you've been able to move forward and how to help others? I'm going to put you in my worst day. You know, my wife was working up in Denver and I was, um, I just got out of army 23 years and I was uh, in a dark house. And at that point, I, you know, I was, uh, I was heavy addicted to, um, to painkillers um, because during the war, you know, that's what they give us. I've been blown up. I've been shot, you know, I've been a soldier, right? And they give you uh, Percocets and they, uh, they give you uh, Ambien to stay awake and they give you, uh, you know, sleeping pills. Yeah. So, you know, not, not the bash army. It was just the way it was, you know, that was the culture. Uh, it was mm -hmm. just not, it's war. Right. And, um, I was heavy addicted and, uh, you know, I was sitting in this dark room and, and I was really like, I don't know, man, I was just really defeated, you know, and I was staring at this TV that was off for hours. And something told me to get up in my voice, get up. So I did, right? And I don't even know what I was doing. I was just walking around the house with a blanket wrapped around, I just pacing back and forth. And somehow this energy led me down to my office. Don't know how I got there. Don't even know why. It's just, just wandering down there. Right. And I was standing in front of my bookcase. And um, I opened up my book. I'm a big reader, big student of life, right? Mm -hmm. pulled out a book and um, it was called The Book of Five Rings by uh, Miyamoto Masashi he was a ronin he was a samurai, he was a philosopher, he was a gardener he was everything I wanted to be at such a young age when I was 11 you know I read The Book of Five Rings when I was 13 for the first time you know and Masashi, this ronin was everything I wanted to be as a human being this complete person of spirituality right and here i am you know i walked this path of bushido the way the way the code is samurai and somehow this code this way has was lost how can something so right and freeing and enslaved and helping out the world put you in such a dark place i was in this dark place so i opened up the book of five rings and i read the first passage and the passage said that everything is this Look nowhere else. Everything exists within you. All your love, all your compassion, everything's within, nowhere else. That's profound. Yeah. What was it at that moment that made you keep moving forward besides this book? Oh gosh, I was defeated at that point. I didn't even know how I can move forward. But I knew, but I knew like the answer was within. 
because the answer was within when I was eight years old, That's when I was 11, right? It was there, but somehow I lost it because I was looking for the answers everywhere else. I was looking into the addictions of the chemicals that I would throw into my body. I would look into supporting my wife, but she don't understand. How can you understand war at that level? right and and uh, i would call my my stepfather how did you do it man you know i don't think my stepfather got over his his wars he didn't say anything you had no response to that no so i knew i was in a really bad place and i knew the answers within you know when i was out in the first special forces group i traveled all through asia so i saw these different practices you know and in america you know we we push towards the western uh, medication or slamming you know drugs down our throats mm-hmm. and done, you know but the eastern way is everything's within right no drugs everything's within right so i knew that was through a form of, of practice of meditation so I Google meditation, right? I'm like, the best oh, way how? <laughs> how hard is that? Mindfulness meditation, right? So I, I, I remember I was so confident. I wrote down a course of action, how I'm going to execute to the T, the location, the time. I had everything planned out like a green beret. Of course. And, uh, you know, I bought a meditation mat and everything. I went down into my office. I shut the door because in my mind, I was going to trap my spirit in that room with me. You know, when I, when I talk to you, you know, if I tell you, Hey, how's your mother or how's your father or how's your, how's your son doing? Right. Your mind is going to drift to wherever I'm saying your mind is always drifting. It's free floating. It's in either the past or thinking about stuff that happened to you, or you're thinking about stuff in the future. You're never in that present moment. Right. You're now, right. So meditation gives you that, that practice. And I, I, you know, I sat down in my office and I meditated, you know, 30 minutes was my first go and I fell miserably. I couldn't lock down. I couldn't quiet down the voices in my mind. I couldn't control my breathing. So meditation, I, I'm like, wow, that is harder than I thought. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, I failed. I feel so bad that, that day. Honestly, too, I'm going to stop you. You know why you didn't fail that day, right? You understand why you didn't fail that day, right? Okay, good. As long as you understand that. So correct your ass real quick. Yeah. So when I say I failed, I, I was not able to lock in. That's what I mean, right? So okay. I went upstairs. I remember I went upstairs. My wife was cooking dinner. And uh, I wrote down the issues I had. Couldn't lock in. I was thinking about this thought. I wrote it all down. I want to bring you back to uh, this story because this is a seed of how I got over my, my thing. I was doing uh, mountain warfare training in Northern India up in uh, Kashmir, Jammu area. Uh, it's near the border of uh, Pakistan, India, and China, right? We yep. were doing mountain warfare training. We're at 18,500 feet. So I was near mm-hmm. Tibet borders, you know? And my friends, you know, during the, uh, the weekends, they would, you know, relax because we train all week. But being too lamb, you know, and the Ronin, I wanted to visit the Tibetan monks. So I grabbed my language and I went into Tibetan monk. <laughs> and I asked the monk, I remember I asked the monk, the monk was so happy to see me, right? And I asked the monk, I said, monk, how come the world is so cruel? 
in the monk. And, uh, and I want to say this to our viewers, because I was born in war, I faced racism, and I saw the worst in humanity as a Green Beret. So that's a true legitimate question for me. Absolutely. We're all so cruel. And I just came out of, of the conflicts in the Philippines. We lost some teammates. Mm -hmm. And the monk came over, he grabbed my hand, he smiled, and he brought me out in the back of the temples, right? And um, he had a stick, and he drew this circle on the ground in the sand. He grabbed these two sacks of uh, these bags, and he threw them on the ground. And one, one sack, it was uh, white rocks, and another sack was black rocks. And he said, he sat there in front of this circle on the ground for years. I want to say four years. Wow. And he said, and he would sit there, and when he'd think of a, of, of a thought, Right. When his mind goes, because he started monitoring his thought, he said, when I think of a negative thought, I'll take a black rock and I'll cast into this circle into the ground. And I have a positive thought, I'll cast the white rock into the circle. And he said, for many years, it was all black. He's, he wanted, you know, he said around the third year, he started casting his first white stone. The third year? Yeah. And then he slowly started casting more white stones. He says, now it's all white stones. And I'm like, wow, what's changed? Like, how? He said, you see, son, he goes, the world is so cruel because people don't take inventory of their thoughts. They don't know what they're subconsciously thinking. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, if you don't know what you're thinking, then you can't control your emotions. And the world is so cruel because people are unaware of their emotions. Therefore, they cannot control it. If you can control your emotions, then the world will be a kinder place. So here I am in this dark room, again, the second day, meditation. Again, I failed. And I wrote down notes. And I failed for the first year. <laughs> right. Did you and meditate I, every day for every a day, year? The first year, every day. Commitment, too. Commitment. <laughs> Thank you. But you see, now I understand because, gosh, man, you know, I was born in war. I faced race. I had all these uh, adversities placed against me my whole life. Of course, I'm going to have all these subconscious. My subconscious mind is screaming all these negative thoughts because that's the only thing I had to deal with my whole life. That's all you knew. That's all I knew. So all I had was negative thoughts in my mind. And here I am sitting in quiet, you know, and all I can hear was these negative thoughts in my mind. And I failed and I failed and I failed. And I remember waking and I was still heavily addicted to drugs. And I woke up one morning and I was like, I looked in the mirror and I said, you know, I hate you. And I went to the medicine cabinet and I dumped everything down the toilet. And I quit cold turkey. Oh, let me, God. Let me tell you what happens when you quit cold turkey after eight years of being mm -hmm. like that, right? The weight of the world. The weight of the world. I heard the screams. I heard the visuals of everything that I saw around the world, you know, came crashing down at that very point. And, uh, Man, I, I would say that was the lowest point of my life. But that's what I needed. I needed that, right? Because that pain, that pain allowed me to work on myself. So every day I didn't cast the, the, the rocks into a circle on the ground, but I carried a notebook. Okay. And I would write down my thoughts. 
every day, every moment. It was all negative, right? Um, For a long time. A very long time. And, you know, during this time, I was an entrepreneur in my company. And I tell you, you know, I'm a hard worker. And my wife is a hard worker. And we became very successful because we're hard workers. And, you know, and an entrepreneur company, and that became very successful. We got hired on to the History Channel TV show. Here I am co-hosting on a TV show. And, you know, Call of Duty calls me up. I'm, I'm acting out on these roles. And everybody's like, man, you got your shit together, too. But? In my mind, I was losing this war to depression. And I was spiraling out of control. You know, in, in front of everybody, I would, I would smile. But inside, nice. I was falling apart. It's falling apart. So, you know, with the, uh, with the opiate addictions and all that, you know, eventually, you know, through meditation and practice of the mindfulness, I, I, I was able to get over it. And once I was able to get over it, then my mind wasn't so clouded anymore. So for three years, I meditated. And for three years, I couldn't quiet down the noise. So thanks, Lanny, I was sitting out in the deck one morning. I was drinking my coffee and I heard birds. Mm. Let me explain this, people. And <laughs> No, I get it. I get it. That's why I'm sitting here going, uh-huh, I know what you're saying. You know, because the war has taken that from me. When I say that is I never really admired life. I just saw the worst of it. So I heard birds. And I was like, wow, beautiful sound. And I wrote that word down. I wrote it down. And I revisited that night. It's like, if this meditation wasn't working, then how did I hear birds? Right? <laughs> it was working. It was slowly working, right? I was I was slowly getting into my subconscious. And uh, and I tell you, man, I I, I continued, I, I went on and um, during, you know, this stage of my life, I'm an entrepreneur and, uh, we're very successful, but I still go to leadership programs. I go to seminars, right. And I went to a Tony Robbins seminar. Oh gosh. How was that? You know, he's real intense. Tony Robbins, he has an energy to him. But Tony's claim to fame is, you know, he traveled the world and he, he trained monks, European monks and Asian monks and every monk you could think of, right? He, he, he studies the mind and body connection, but his claim to fame is that he can change his physiology to affect his mind, right? The, the mind is connected to the body. Right. Okay. So uh, I went to the seminar and, uh, you know, I had some stuff that I couldn't shake. Like there was a few things that... You know, the meditation was working, but there's some things that I couldn't breach over. Right. right. And Tony Robbins taught me that. He taught me how to change my physiology. But one thing I want to I want to leave with you guys is that he taught me this. And this was the biggest thing. If I asked you, if I asked you today, I'm going to ask you this question, right? Right. So out of these, out of these moral values, out of these moral values, significance, love, connection, um, uh, certainty or uncertainty? Which one do you value most? Significance, which is your standards as an individual, right? right? Mm -hmm. Love connection. Mm -hmm. uh, certainty, you have to live in, in uncertainty. Things have to be on schedule or uncertainty. You live in chaos. Which what, what do you put as number one? And I could tell you, whatever you put as number one, I could tell you exactly how you, if you're happy or not, if you're ever going to be fulfilled in life or not. Oh, great. This is not on the spot at all. I put love first. Yeah, man. 
you're going to be happy and you're going to be fulfilled in life. You see, I want to tell you this because significance was my energy. Okay. You know, think about it. Right. Roll boy defeated, right? Defeated, picked on in life. He's a weak individual just trying to prove himself in life and trying to help free to oppress. So my standards had to be incredibly high. Right. Right. My standards in life had to be incredibly high to be who I am, to do what I do. I had to have this mental, strong mind. But man, I tell you, when I when I got out of the military, if I what made me who I am in the military, if I continue to drive on with that, I would never find happiness. You know, I would never find fulfillment. I would be successful as in money, right? Because that's hard worker, that's significance. Right. Right. right? Your standards are high. But you will never find fulfillment. The true peace. Gratitude. You'll never find any of that. So that's what Tony Robbins taught me when I came out at seminar. Now I changed up my morning rituals because I have morning rituals. I want to explain why the morning is so important. The morning is so important. You have to win the mornings. You have to wake up in the morning like you're going to battle. right? You have to get out of bed like I'm going to war. Because you have to win that battle in the morning. If you win that morning, man, you win that day. You win that day consistently, you win the game of life. Right? So what what I wanted to say, so, you know, before I used to get up, you know, I get up at 4.30 in the morning. And I take a a, a shower to wake me up. But the last minute, I turn into ice cold water, right, in Mm -hmm. the shower. And I stand Mm -hmm. And it makes me control my breathing because you can't stand on there unless you are truly focused on the moment, right? So I go into my breathing controls. So why why do I turn on the uh, the water uh, so cold? Is that basically I'm allowing my body to wake up. The cold water hits my muscle, blood's rushing to my muscles. I can feel my body waking up. So by the time I get out of the shower, I'm kind of awake, right? At four thirty. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, if you're a big coffee drinker, which I love coffee, um, I make my coffee then and I go into my deck. And uh, the sun's not up, still dark. And I'm sitting out there in the quiet. And I usually sit there for a minute just to take in the morning. And then I pray to God. I, I said my, my prayers to God and then I show gratitude for life in that day. And I promise God that I will do the best I can to live, you know, this day to the fullest and to become the best person I can this day, right? So you're making a promise to the universe and you're making a promise to yourself already. Mm-hmm. And you're showing gratitude, which gratitude is a positive energy because gratitude is tied to love. Love is tied to compassion. Compassion is tied to what? Fulfillment, right? All this. Yeah. So then I go into meditation. Usually my meditation now is 45 minutes. I can lock in for 45 wow. minutes. Right. And people always ask me, like, what is meditation? Like, how do you know you lock in? And I said, you ever heard a professor talk and then you're just staring at him? And you're not really paying attention. You're just staring at him almost in a trance. And, you know, that's what it is. You're in, almost in a trance. And why, why is meditation so important? It's because you have your subconscious mind and you have your uh, conscious mind and you have your analytical, right? So let me explain this to you. 95% of your brain is made up of your subconscious mind. That means all your programs, all your experiences, all your thoughts, and you know everything from the past is stuck in this subconscious mind. And then you got, you got your conscious mind, which makes up 5% of it. And then it's, it's divided by analytical mind. 
meditation slows down your analytical mind enough where you can get into the subconscious. If I tell you, hey, man, just be happy. You can't, yeah. you can't just say, I'm just going to be I'm happy. happy. Yet, right? You can't because you have to slow down your brain waves enough into the beta mode where you can get into the subconscious. That's what meditation does. It slows down your analytical mind in order for you to inject positivity, inject gratitude, inject God, inject all these new things. So basically what I'm teaching you guys is how to reprogram your mind. It can be done with, with be commitment done. and commitment. dedication. Hard work. Yes. Hard work. And, you know, there's nothing in life that comes to us without hard work. So it takes hard work, guys. You don't just find happiness by just waking up and then uh, going to work and coming home and being around your family in a safe area. That's not happiness. Happiness is, is found in what you do, what you give daily to better yourself as a human being. Right? So it's to live in beauty and live in gratitude. So now as a Ronin, um, you know, after six years of that, I found my peace. You know, and people are always like, you know, people don't understand the weight of that when I say that. I never wow. had it. I never had peace. I never had a normal childhood. You know, I never had a normal career. You know, I fought for those and I never found my peace until now. So, you know, now that I'm, I found my peace, my Zen, you know, I try around the United States. I teach, right? I teach, uh, Bushido. I teach the way, the warrior, the code of a ronin, a samurai, you know, to live by a higher purpose, higher power. And uh, I, I travel around the United States. I teach major law enforcement. I teach military. I teach law by civilians, you know, and, and our teaching curriculum is very popular. We're booked out years. You know, people, people are dying to get in our, our programs. But what I found out is more than just the way of a gun or a knife, which I do teach, right? I teach lethality. But people walk away with a sense of spirituality in themselves. And that's what's missing in our culture right now. And that ability to lean on that and find your way with that and have that be part of you and be able to grasp onto that when you're at your lowest of your low. That's right. So by understanding that, now I can give back to the veterans. And I do. You know, I go to these you know, uh, Navy SEAL foundations, I go to Green Brave foundations, I go to Warrior Warrior, where, you know, we, we, uh, we sit with doctors and we talk to them about medical treatments for our, our, our veterans and our law enforcement. And, you know, anybody who's faced trauma, you know, now I find myself public speaking in these venues, talking about, you know, being this stronger person and how you have to face defeat in order to find you know, your, your, yourself, right? Because I always tell people life is a series of wrong paths yeah. until you find your right path. That's right. right. So that's where I am now. And that's the journey um, that I came out of. It was hard, obviously, but um, as you can see, I worked on, on myself, right? And I, I worked on myself daily, but what I want you guys to understand, and this is to the viewers is that the answer to life, my life, and the answer to my purpose was found in a small cardboard box when I was eight years old as a defeated boy. 
right? So the answers to life will come to you when you're defeated because that's the only energy that will allow you to grow. Defeat, right? Failure. So I want you to live your guy's life with, without fear, man, right? And uh, if we fail, what's the bigger, what's the bigger gain? Knowledge, experience, right? right? So, and, and that's what I do as a Ronin. I go around and I, I teach people, you know, um, this, this inner power. And I give people the, uh, basically the art of Gudo, the art of combat, mm-hmm. you know, in order to, you know, to safeguard themselves from, you know, the, uh, the crimes and, in our country, the growing rate of crimes in our countries. To it, I hate to say this, but I'm almost for how horrifically you were left by your father. I am internally grateful, and I think the rest of the world is for the opportunity that he left you. Those. It's not that it maybe would have been them as their the only thing that could have been the catalyst. Obviously, your father leaving was hell for you but at least he left you with that last parting gift that brought you forward. And I'm choosing to see, I'm choosing to see that at least he left you with something that could turn you and help turn you into the man and and help the world the way you are now too. I think your father-in-law, as hard as he was on you, I'm grateful for him doing that to you as difficult as it was because when I sit here and see you and as you're talking, again, I'm sorry, but I don't see you as the two you are now. I see you as the 11-year-old boy who has not only successfully done everything he ever dreamed of and more, but while doing it, you saved countless lives. You brought what your mother told you to do in education to the world. And you have done nothing but honor your family. Thank you. You know, and I, I think that things come full circle because I want to explain this to you. I was in uh, northern um, Cameroon up in Buda Majida. And, you know, the rebels will come in and they'll kill, you know, innocent people, a lot of innocent people. So, you know, as a refugee, as a child born in war, I can look upon this child who lost his father, who lost his mother that day with compassion at the highest level, because I felt that pain, you know? I felt that pain to be ripped out, spit on, to be ridiculed, to kill off your race because, you know, you're just different, you know? And, and that's what people don't understand is that I stand for equality, I stand for life. That's what I stand for, you know? And my mother taught me that at a young age and that's what I give to the world. And what is more needed at this time? So much love. Uh, what's more needed in our country than than love at this time? Like compassion. It's so nothing true. more. Right. It and I feel I feel like my story too of you know, people neglect freedoms. Ronald exactly. Reagan said that, you know, we're we're one generation away from losing our freedoms. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm proof of that. I was born. I lost my freedoms and countries and everything I had at three months old. You know, and I, I think back to my mother. Now that I'm older, I think back now, now that I'm older and I, I want you to think, I want you to think about, put yourself as a mother, right? I want you to think about this. 
grabbing your two boys and loading a boat, knowing there's a high possibility that all of us will die. But yet you're willing to gamble that away for your sons to grow up knowing what it means to be free. There's nothing more American than that. No, there's not. So, Sorry. This, oh, just, a, uh, I, I cry when I think to my mom and, you know, I, I think back to her and, you know, and, and when people try to talk to me about what is being American, there's nothing more than that. And that's what this country was found on, you know? Yep. And I, yep. I feel like with me sharing my story, because it is the modern day story, right? Now everybody can relate to the colonial 13 colony days, right? Right, but people can relate to being racism, that people can relate to being picked on and bullied, you know, and born in war. You know, so that's my message. To um I'm just I I don't even have to wait for the response. Uh I know from all of my listeners, we owe you as a society and humanity a debt of gratitude. So you need to know that there are people out there, and I know you probably know this, there are so many people out there that are grateful for your wisdom and for you having to go through that hell to be who you are. I, I hate every second of the thought when you tell me to think about that truthfully because it breaks me at that idea. I don't know that I could have been as strong as your mother. Um, uh, I have seen the worst of war, but I have not seen it on the repetition that you have but I know what it can do to a human being and to know that you did it for 20 years, the way that you did it and still somehow came out of it at your lowest of low. And instead of making suicide, your option, you decided that it was time to do the work. And I preach that on a regular basis. No one will get better or be better. If you don't do the work, we can't, we can't fix you with drugs the way people think that you can, that, numbs you it 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 they did that to me it numbs you it breaks you it tears you down and it causes lifelong issues and if we can all look a little bit differently inside ourselves the way you have and be willing to do the work and if you'll allow me when i release this i would like to tag the book that you read when you were young because i think it will be of value to others to to read something and see something the way that you did. And maybe it will give one person, if anybody, just one person, a little piece of hope to drive, drive forward and, and do better. I think yeah. it's possible. It is. It is so possible. And, and guys, look, you know, your viewers out there, and I'm sure some of them are going through some hard times, right? And look, guys, it's needed. Understand that, you know, I, I was in Malaysia and I was, um, doing jungle warfare training and I saw this snake right it was slithering across it was a huge snake jungle snake and he, and he was clawing his way across the tree it was this snake looked so uncomfortable it basically was scratching it was itching itself out of his own skin and I wrote the I wrote down that it was through the discomforts that you grow So it's through the discomforts that you grow, right? So I want you to look at your life a little bit different. So all the struggles, everybody that's, that's listening right now, I want you to look at your life a little bit different. 
I want you to look back at, you know, your pain and, and, and your failures and everything. And I want you to understand that that's needed. Right? It's just the way that you look at it. If you victimize yourself, then obviously you're going to fail. But if you don't and you, you take the bigger gain, which is knowledge, right? Which is knowledge. Because I can tell you, man, I can look at a, a person that's faced racism and I understand that to the deepest level, right? And I can understand war to the deepest level where, you know, we lost everything. So what I'm saying is I took my pain and I made it purpose. Right. Right. So that's why I need you guys to do. I want you to look back at your life and take your, you know, your, your pains and your, your hardest times. And trust me, that's your purpose because you can't, you can't really push something with, with passion at that level, unless you felt that pain, there's gotta be a reason that's going to bring you to that next level. And usually it's pain, right? Usually Almost it's always. <laughs> yeah. It's discomfort is pain. So that's that's needed to grow you know so embrace it wow um okay uh two not only have you taken words out of my mouth and i can attest that that never happens talk too much um there there's god damn it there's so much value in that past hour and a half uh on on substantially different levels than i thought there would be um I am so beyond honored to have had this conversation with you. I'm so beyond honored because you are going to affect so many more people that I know my listeners, right? I know these people and I know they're struggling. That's why they turn to me. They're struggling because I'm very honest about the struggle. And I think that what you've just brought to them is going to be so damn significant in their life. But I think you've just, you've changed so many people's lives. I mean, just add it to your list, right, of incredible things that you have a tendency to do and make the rest of us look like up to you because it's, it's impressive. You're impressive. Your wife, your marriage is impressive. The way that you have chose to live your life, path you have taken, you could have rolled over and just taken this and said, well, this is this is what happens to me. This is, you know, the, the life I was born into, but instead you grabbed it, you made it yours. And in turn, you made it better. This world is better for you too. Thank you. I, I really think that the, uh, I have to thank my mother, right? The conditions and circumstances does not define you. Your actions daily defines who you are to become. Okay. Wow. Um, oh. Too. I'm, uh, I'm going to leave it there because if I don't, I'm going to continue to cry. <laughs> and your mother, your mother, we have the world to thank. We do. And um, continue doing what you're doing. Can you please tell everyone where they can find? I mean, you Googled too, Lamb, and you're going to find them, but <laughs> can you tell them where to find you? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I have a website. Um www.runintactics.com. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at runintactics.com. I mean, at runintactics. And then Facebook at runintactics. And you can follow us on YouTube at runintactics. YouTube, usually I like to spread philosophy. I like to spread my teachings and martial arts. Um, Instagram is more motivational, you know, to keep people going daily, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like that should be it, right? Like, 
Social yes. media should be like a uh, a network of people motivating each other to create a better world, you know, uh, supporting each other. But what we find is, you know, some people want to turn it into a hate group, right? So what we have right. to do is that you have to be stronger than hate, right? And you get on these platforms, motivate people, help others out. And in doing so, we create a better world. Oh my gosh, too. Um, it's an honor. It has been one of my favorite opportunities I've ever had to well, sit and you. talk with someone like you. All right, everybody. Uh, that's Tulam, and I'm going to beg, plead, borrow, and steal to have him on again. So go check him out. We will talk with you all next week.